Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching another Weaviate release podcast, releasing Weaviate 1.19. We have all sorts of exciting new features, but before diving into, the, into any of the features, Edian has on what I think is the best iteration of the Weaviate shirt. Uh, so Edian, thank you so much for joining the 1.19 podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm calling this the 1.19 shirt. I think it's not the, <laughs> the 19th iteration yet, but it, it fits perfectly with all the cool stuff that we have in the new release. Yeah, awesome. I remember we had joked about having like a t-shirt for all the blog posts, the blog cards that Svetlana makes. And yeah, I, yeah, I really like the look of it. Uh, so super cool. So let's kick it off with the gRPC API and the, the story around what led to that. Yeah, uh, gRPC API was sort of an, an initially unplanned feature, uh, but we wanted to add a VVA to ANN benchmarks. And in ANN benchmarks, we've we've talked in in the past. We've talked about the sort of library versus database split. And in ANN benchmarks, you have all these libraries, and um, but now also a couple of databases. So we thought like, okay, yeah, we have nothing to hide. Like, let's let's get VVA in there as well. And uh, what you can see in those those uh, benchmarks. Is that especially for the so, so so for those of you who don't have the context in the benchmark essentially you have a graph that on one axis shows you the the recall and on the other the latency and with any ANN algorithm especially with HNSW with with any it's always a trade off between recall and latency or throughput as sort of a as the inverse latency basically so throughput in the ANN benchmarks is actually estimated because it's not really a throughput benchmark it really just a single threaded individual queries and then if a query takes let's say uh, 100 milliseconds then the throughput would be considered 10 per second so just one second divided by by the individual latency the the actual latencies are way lower than 100 milliseconds but that's that's kind of the the benchmark setup and uh, what you can see in those sort of low recall settings of course the latencies go go down quite a bit uh, but that also means that everything that you have as constant overhead so let's say a, a vector search takes for example, half a millisecond, but you have a constant overhead of half a millisecond, then all of a sudden in these low recall situations, you now have 50% overhead or depending on how you see it, 100% overhead. And that's not great in benchmarks. <laughs> so um, we thought, well, what, what can we do here? And, and can we do something that doesn't just optimize for benchmarks? Because that's kind of well, I don't want to say it's pointless because in the end, benchmarks are a great signal for users and they, they help them sort of decide. But also to some degree, if you over-optimize for benchmarks, you always have to ask yourself, like, what benefit does the actual end user have? And uh, we looked at uh, the gRPC API and um, adding gRPC API sort of in the background for some of the clients. So what is super important for us was to make sure that there are no breaking changes or that users would have to sort of start changing their their usage patterns or would have to learn something new no uh we've sort of slowly started adding this this grpc api which some endpoints not all yet but some uh, can run with this and uh, the python client for example can automatically discover if grpc is enabled it's also an optional uh, package on the on the client side so if you don't have grpc installed then um, you don't have to install it if you don't like it but if it's there it's it's used in the background and that uh, allows you to to yeah, basically have more efficient queries uh, where just the the overhead and and of course that overhead before it, I think it was was around 500 to 600 microseconds so it's a bit more than, than half a millisecond that was there in every request but the the shorter the request duration is the more noticeable is the overhead you could argue that a user would never notice in real life and that you only only argue it in uh, that you would only uh, notice it in benchmarks but nevertheless um, 
overhead is there and overhead is gone. So making something more efficient is never a bad idea. I think even if if you could argue that that most users might not see the the real life impact. Yeah, and um, so I definitely want to dive a little. I have a couple more questions about how these ANN benchmarks and the recall latency, but um, maybe just super quickly. So gRPC, GraphQL, HTTP. Uh, could you just quickly give me the difference? Yeah. Uh, so, so interestingly, gRPC actually isn't the separate protocol. It runs over HTTP two. So, from a sort of the, these are all sort of one layer higher than the TCP stack. They all run over TCP, and then gRPC basically runs uh, via HTTP. Uh, so, the 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 way, and this is a very interesting because I think some people. Uh, just assume that gRPC is faster because it's a faster protocol, but it's actually not a faster protocol because it's the same protocol as, as HTTP. And, and by the way, GraphQL is also typically sent over, over HTTP. Um, it's simply that uh, gRPC uses the protobuf protocol, which is very, very close to how uh, the, the data types are represented in their respective languages. So uh, the, the Go memory model is very similar, basically, to, to uh, the protobuf structure and then also the memory model in Python. So if you have this sort of uh, network request, Go, which is VV8, the VV8 server, uh, via uh, gRPC to Python, there's simply way less sort of... Uh, decoding, encoding, restructuring, not restructuring, but so re-encoding that you need to do. Uh, whereas uh, both GraphQL and, and uh, REST that, that we typically uh, use for, for HTTP um, use JSON. And JSON basically is a, is a sort of space inefficient protocol because it's just everything text. And it needs to be parsed. It needs to be sort of the, the same way that, that if, if you as a human write JSON, you have the curly braces and you have the quotes and then you have the colon and then you know, okay, this is the key value mapping in the same way the server and the client for that matter have to parse that. And that, that simply costs time. And it's, it's not a, a massive overhead, but in a benchmark scenario where you don't have a lot of time, like even that can, can um, show up. What was important for us was to, to like not, not add new overhead for the user, like cognitive overhead. <laughs> We're reducing computational overhead, but don't want to add, add a usage overhead. Um, so you, you probably won't notice, you will still be able to use GraphQL, especially for, for sort of just learning the VV8 API, just discovering it, playing around with it. The, the GraphQL console this is, is an amazing tool. But at the same time, um, if you run your use case in production and you run it through the language interface that is our clients anyway, you might not need GraphQL anymore. So it's kind of a more, more options. Yeah, super cool. So stepping into the ANN benchmarks a little bit, I remember you'd published that amazing ANN benchmarks collection. And we also had a podcast on that. I think it's like number seven uh, earlier podcasts. And I think we're on like 47, 47 or something. But um, wow. so I, I remember the, um, so like the hyperparameters of, you know, the effective EF, EF construction, max connections. Um, so are all those fixed? And then each of these you know, ANN providers all have to adhere to the same hyperparameters and the same machine? Is that sort of the like a fixed hyperparameter of the HSW kind of? Uh, no, actually. So the, the machine is fixed, yes. And, and not even just the machine. There, There's actually a... So I, I said that the ANN benchmarks were single-threaded before. It's actually not entirely true. They're limited to one CPU, which 
basically is not the same as single-threaded. You can run multiple threads with that CPU, but there's no benefit because you can't ever exceed more than, than one CPU. So that is one, one restriction. Uh, one restriction is the build time. So I think if it times out after, I think, I think two hours is the, the limit or so. So you can't run anything that takes more than, than two hours. But other than that, it's completely free. So you can set your own parameters. I think all the HNSW-based implementations do have the same parameter set. So it's typically, it's basically a grid search over, over all parameters. Mm. So you have EF constructions from very low to very high. You have EF from very low to very high and same for, for max connections. And, and since the HNSW algorithm sort of works the same, I guess in a sense, you're just comparing the, the implementations. And uh, that also means that the, the parameters typically perform the same. So, so maybe in, in absolute terms, like one solution would be slower than another, but still for both solutions, like uh, uh, setting eight connections would probably have the same effect on both solutions as opposed to setting like 64 connections. Um, and then in A and benchmarks, it's not limited to HNSW-based algorithms. So for, for those, so, so for example, uh, uh, PG Vector is, is in there, the new uh, Postgres plugin, which I think it's IVF-based or something, or IVF-PQ-based. So it has completely different parameters. But that's the nice thing about ANN algorithms. You can compare uh, them them still and, and sort of, yeah, you're kind of kind of free to use all your parameters to get the best out of all parameters under the restriction that you still need to be able to build it within two hours on a single CPU. Hmm. So, so what scale is the test? Is it like the SIFT, uh, the SIFT one million vectors, or like? Uh, yeah, we have SIFT one one M in there. I think we have. I forget the name, but I think it's like Deep One B, which is not hmm. a billion. That that oh. would be that would be a bit large. But I think it's ten million or so. So they're they're definitely smaller and larger. But I think they're all within within yeah to one one to ten million. Do you think maybe that's something that the benchmarks uh, like should aspire to is, or yeah, just like the continued scale. Anyway, yeah. So the whole topic is so interesting. Um, so, so maybe pivoting topics a bit, we also have in our uh, release, the, uh, the generative cohere module. And so I'm really excited to talk about this because this is actually the first module I've ever worked on at Weaviate. And I mean, it, it was pretty easy to the, the, the infrastructure that's been in place to, uh, extend these modules with new models or new external model providers. So, you know, OpenAI, Cohere, when the Anthropic Cloud model comes in, the Hugging Face Transformers, GBT for All, the Llama, like all these large language model providers can be integrated so easily into Weaviate. And so, yeah, so I wanted to maybe ask you, Adrian, about um, your latest thinking on the large language model stuff and that kind of... Um, the the trends in all these new models that are coming out. Yeah, cool. So, so first of all, I'm I'm really happy to hear that this was easy to do because this is this is kind of the point of the module system. Like there's so many sort of complex tasks within the database, both on the, the vector <laughs> indexing side, but also on the just sort of old school database indexing side. So so having that sort of almost sandbox scope of the module where it's very easy to integrate mm. something new, that's 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 mm -hmm. always awesome. And and um, or always awesome to hear that it actually works like this as as it is intended, um, which serves as a nice nice segue into everything that's happening right now because um, we're we're really in this this sort of crazy mode of something new popping up and and breaking GitHub star records within a couple of days or something. It has more than than, than everything out there, and I love that we're able to 
to integrate them. I, I was about to say React, but I think React is not the right word. I think we're, we're able to integrate them very quickly as they pop up um, because it's not React would imply that we somehow like have to chase them, but it's not the case. It's just enabling users. They, they, there's something new comes up, a new, be it a new model, a new integration, something that provides value in in this AI space. And uh, if it provides value, then there's a good chance that it can also provide value to VV8 users. And I think being able to, to quickly adapt there and quickly integrate those is, is super valuable for our users. And similarly, um, having VV8 basically as the, the stable API for them, I think is also super cool because if you if you manually, let's say um, you, you're using generative open AI, so the completion endpoints from open AI, and now you want to uh, maybe test that against the Cohere endpoint uh, and, and yeah, just want to see like, okay, what, what performs better for my specific workload? If you were to integrate with those two providers separately, you would probably have to adjust some code because you wrote something that was meant to contact the, the uh, OpenAI API and now the, the Cohere API. I haven't looked at them, but I'd be surprised if they were identical. It probably is some difference. But if you use VV8 with all of that, the VV8 API is the same. All you have to change is the model or, or change some string somewhere in the model that's essentially just configuration. And that goes for, for way more of these things. Like if you, this is just one example, you could say, you could argue like, yeah, okay, changing changing one of those requests is easy. But now if you combine that maybe with with sort of the, the generative search, which typically is the, the uh, retrieval step and then the, the generative part, what if you want to change something on the, on the retrieval side? You could have text-to-vec OpenAI, text-to-vec Cohere, text-to-vec Transformers, Contextionary, uh, uh, text-to-vec uh, Hugging Face for any Hugging Face model, probably new ones that, that have been released <laughs> during during the recording of this podcast. So um, uh, yeah. you, you can combine all of these, all of these five or however many it was, you can combine them in a hybrid search with PM25. So, so now we have this like large matrix of different options and you can do this within Vivate by simply changing configuration. So I think that's that's a nice additional value of having that collection of of different model providers within Vivate. Yeah, I think that um like that kind of like model inference orchestration of Vivate is so fascinating to me. Like whether you want to manage this on the database side or on the client side, and I think by doing it in the database, you just have kind of one thing with all this infrastructure. And and yeah, the whole thing is so exciting. The Kind of the one paper I really like that came out recently is Hugging GPT, where it's kind of about the, you know, the large language model is like the task decomposer that routes it to the models with descriptions of the models. And I mean, the the future of like, we originally talked about this pipe API, which is kind of like a DAG of computation flow, like retrieve, retrieve rank, read. But now we're seeing such a dynamic uh, kind of chaining of the things you can do with search interfaces. And it's so interesting. So the next topic is another innovation in search that I think is extremely exciting. So much potential with this idea, which is group by arbitrary property. And yeah, can you explain how maybe with the uh, document passage example, I think would be the best like. Yeah, yeah, this this feature, this was basically a, a request from one of our uh, commercial users. But when they requested it, we, we kind of almost expect this already because it's just something that that is an ever sort of growing problem that we now have a solution for. So the idea is if you have your document split into some kind of, oh, sorry, sorry, not your document, your 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 entire content split into some kind of hierarchy, um, typically you're you're either forced to give up the hierarchy or you have to do some kind of workarounds. So, so what I mean is, for example, let's say you have uh, documents and you have passages and a document is sort of a grouping of 
a number of passages. If this is a very small grouping, you could, for example, do the ref to vec. So you could have them in this as two VVA classes, you can do the ref to vec, and then ref to vec gets the mean embedding of those passages. The problem with this is as the number of passages per document grows, it gets harder and harder to represent so much information because in ref to vec essentially all gets combined into a single vector and there's only so much information that a single vector can, can hold. So if you try to combine a thousand passages and, and these all have maybe diverse topics, so, so let's say it's maybe not document passages, maybe book and chapter or book and passage, then it's very, very hard to keep that meaning. So what users typically do is they would want to search uh, by the, the the sort of smallest unit, which in this case would be the, the passage. But then the problem is, well, how do I get back to my association of, of the document? Like now I'm searching for passages. Uh, maybe the top 10 passages are all of the same document. Maybe in the top 10 passages, it's 10 different documents. And what our users were missing is basically a simple way to to sort of keep that kind of association and, and make make that part of the ranking basically. And with the group by feature, um, and, and it's an, an, a group by by any arbitrary prop, but I think it's it's most interesting for this particular example to group by the, the reference prop that that would be the, the association from passage to document. It now allows you to have basically the, the first hit comes in and let's say it's off document one. Um, then you can you can group all the passages that match that same document in one group, and then you can either sort of group this by what is the the, the highest similarity per group, or you could take the mean similarity per per group or something. There's like more more options, but basically, if you want to display like if you want to search through passages, but to your users want to display um, uh, documents, you can do this now because by finding the the uh, the one passage that fits the best, you still get the the related passages, basically the, the the most related passages in that same document that you can represent to your users. So it gives you like a nice way to to display that as like almost like a like a tree kind of way, um, and then or or various other ways. I think gives you more options to to show that to your users. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, um, first a quick shout out. I was just at the um, the Haystack Search and Relevancy con a conference and I open source connections. I know they would love this topic. Um, yeah, so like with the ref to vec, yeah, you try to aggregate all the passages and it, averaging is maybe too much of a compression. I used to think that maybe a graph neural network could aggregate those vectors and or maybe cluster some ideas like this. It also kind of reminds me of like multi-vector representation where, you, you know, you have a document and then passage that kind of thing maybe like title passage and so on author but yeah that's um it like i i like the analogy of the podcast like taking these podcasts and then um you know putting the transcriptions in and you know you have all the chunks and you have the similarity of the chunks that you aggregate it's such an interesting innovation in search and i like to call this like top level indexes and yeah i'm so excited to see how this uh, evolves so so now transitioning into uh, some new date oh yeah unless you want to on that. No, just, just I, I love your example about the podcast. And I just had to think because we opened with the topic of benchmarks and we also have a dedicated episode on, on benchmarks. So I think that would be a great example because now it gives you the ability like, do you want maybe that snippet from today's podcast, which is very relevant to, to benchmarks, but the podcast is not about benchmarks. Or do you want more of the mean similarity where you have a dedicated episode about benchmarks where maybe no snippet fits as good as today's snippet, but overall you have the the podcast that fits the topic better. And I think this is something that you can very nicely represent with, with uh, the new grouping feature. Yeah, amazing. That's a perfect example.
Yeah, because the one passage matches it enormously, but then the whole collection, yeah, hearts and stuff. <laughs> uh, so, um, so okay, so coming into the um, the database stuff, and I think this is so interesting. How um, so now you have a tunable option between whether you want to use the bitmap index, which I assume to be like a super fast inverted index because of how the underlying data structure is implemented, uh, and then you also have the um, the BM twenty five score index. Uh, so, so what goes into kind of this tunable indexing? Yeah, so in the past, we kind of made an assumption that if it's text, you would always want to do a full text search. And that that just, I mean, that may be true in some cases, but it wasn't it wasn't granular enough. Because exactly as you say, we, we've introduced in, in the previous release, we've introduced those bitmap filters and everything. So, so we had it for everything except text props for, for this particular reason. And um, everything else is super fast now, but text still kind of like was, was sort of still the old implementation because text was built in a way to be indexed for, for BM25, which is sort of without going into, into too much uh, detail, but it's, it's very different because you need a lot more information. So for BM25, every hit and every association needs to be scored. So you need to know uh, the, the, the frequencies and all these kind of additional, additional things that you don't need to know for, for pure filtering. But now if your use case is to simply filter and nothing else on text, on something that happens happens to be text, um, yeah, right now you get options. You can either index it only for filters, then it's fast, it's the BM25 index. You can only index it for search, then um, you can have, then it's basically the same behavior that you had before. So filters, if it's not specifically filter index, it can still fall back to um, to the, the old index, to the searchable index. But if it has both, then it just takes the, the best at, at, at each time. And um, it's fully in your control. Um, it's fully backward compatible. So by by default, we build both indexes, but you can take the, turn them off and then and simply tune it. So if you said, like, okay, I I know I'm only going to need... So, so, so for example, if the field is like a, uh, a user group that you need for permissions checking or something, you're never going to run a BM25 search over that. You know it'll only be there for, for filtering. So just turn the searchable index off keep the, the filterable index and then you get um, uh, fast filters using bitmaps under the hood for string properties as well. It, yeah, it, it also makes me think about like you could probably represent categorical uh, variables that way. Like if you have... Uh, exactly. Yeah, 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 super cool. Um, so kind of related... Yeah, just just because it's a string doesn't necessarily mean it's it's full text. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of the assumption that we made before, but it, it simply doesn't hold true. Yeah, super cool. And, and you can use those with the where filters. Yeah. Um, amazing stuff. Um, so then there's um, so now there's more tokenization options as well. Um, yes, yeah, you maybe take me through the thinking around the tokenization. Yeah, yeah. So um, mentioned string and text before, and I think this has been a big source of confusion for for some users because some users just assume that because it's string, it would use a, a specific kind of tokenization. Some users didn't even know that there was a split between string and text. So they used string for something that should have been text or used text for something that should have been string. And as I'm saying this, well, what should have been a string? What should have been a text? Like that's that's just not clear. That's that's very hard to explain. And that's why we've, we've simplified this. And again, all in a non-breaking way. So right now, there's only going to be text. String basically disappears. Nothing breaks for you. You can still in your APIs or in your, your schemas, you can still set string and it'll be automatically converted to, to text. Um, and to keep that kind of difference that we had before, there are now more tokenization options. So you can tokenize 
if you want, by the whole field, which is something, by the way, that a lot of people assumed that that string would do, but it would only do that if you set the tokenization to field. So right now, that's simply an option. You can tokenize by word, which basically means uh, VV8 will split on the spaces, but will keep the individual uh, things you can, can um, or, or will sort of keep the alphanumeric uh, contents of the, the uh, words, but it will remove uh, special characters. You can also split just by white space, which is sort of Again, splitting at the word boundary, but not removing those special characters. So for example, if it's like a, a product description that has a, a special sign in it or something, and you wanna you wanna keep that because it's relevant, then you can. So again, more control and simpler API at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, super cool. And um so keeping on the um the APIs, I've been um so I've started diving into TypeScript and learning a little bit more about that. I've seen more of the uh consistency level and um so the newest thing, tunable consistency for vector search and uh, the get request and all that. Um, yeah, can you tell uh, the whole, so replication is something that you can, so <laughs> I hope I'm getting this correctly and Eddie will correct me in a second if I'm wrong, but replication is like how you're replicating your data across nodes in a cluster. So so how does this work with each tune, each query you can tune this? Yeah, so, so the the there's, two sides basically for, for tuning. One is how do you write your data and how do you reach your data? And they, they, they somehow depend on one another because for example, if you make sure that during writing, every node already has the same copy, it doesn't matter what you do at reading because if you just read it from one node or if you read it from, from multiple nodes, you already made sure that they're in sync during, during writing. However, that has a large cost because now for every write, all the nodes have to basically agree on it. All the nodes have to be alive. So, so um, with tunable consistency, the idea is to, to make some trade-offs basically. You could say, I'm, I'm only uh, writing maybe with a majority of nodes and, and I'm also only reading with a majority of nodes. And then you know, okay, we still got some consistency guarantees basically because um, because if, if both uh, writes and reads happened with, with a majority of nodes, then uh, it, it should still be consistent. Or you could say it's actually not super critical that my data is always up to date. Maybe you wanna accept that it's sometimes a bit, bit uh, um, yeah, uh, eventually consistent. So it could temporarily be out of date and, and hasn't been repaired yet. And that may be fine because um, maybe something that you're updating is, is, is yeah, it's, it's not uh, uh, bank account details or something or, or, or bank transactions, but rather product search where it's not a big issue if, if something is slightly outdated or maybe you can catch it on the, the application side if it's outdated. And um, yeah, for, for uh, GraphQL searches, basically that was the, the last point uh, that we had where we didn't have tunable consistency yet. And for those requeries, you can now set it there as well. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so everyone, uh, we are a little time constrained, so we're going to, we're cutting it a little short, but um, as always, the incredible DevRel team, there's this release blog post with all these releases. If you want to consult more details, Eddie and I are available on Slack and more than happy to answer uh, any of your questions. So GRPC, generative cohere, group by arbitrary property, bitmap indexing, uh, more fine-grained control over that with the text search, deprecating string with more tokenization than the tunable consistency and some patch releases. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. Awesome.